0: My guest today is Jason Ruger. Jason's the Chief Information Security Officer of Lenovo, a technology organization with more than $50 billion in annual revenue. He's also the head of IT for Motorola's Mobile Business Group, which is a subsidiary within Lenovo. In this interview, we discuss how Jason has navigated working with three variations of the same company and how Lenovo operates as a global firm. We also discuss the pandemic's impact on the company and how the fact that Lenovo has a major manufacturing operation in Wuhan, China, led to early warnings as to the issues that arose related to COVID-19. We cover how the pandemic has led to a 3x increase in cyber attacks and the methods Jason and his team have undertaken to counteract those. We also cover his CIO and CISO responsibilities and how he segments his thought processes related to each, as well as a variety of other topics. Before we get to our interview, I wanted to introduce you to our sponsor, Zoho, and the company's president, Timothy Casby. Prior to taking on his current role, he was the chief information officer of a number of companies, including Reliance Industries, Sears, Intrexon, and the Warehouse Group. He's now at Zoho, a most unusual enterprise software company, and wanted to share some perspectives from it. Timothy, take it away. Exceptional is an Australian recruitment agency that is
1: focused on placing candidates with autism in tech jobs. They tried Salesforce and Workday and other tools. Here is the feedback from exceptional.io after they moved to Zoho Recruit. I want to share that since exceptional moved from Salesforce to Zoho, our process for profiling shortlisting autistic candidates has gone from days to hours. Our recruitment team is raving about Zoho Recruit. The system will allow us to find more autistic people tech jobs. Thought you would like to know. The Zoho Recruit transition came at a time of 10x growth in candidate inquiry as employees in Australia are starting to hire again. The way Zoho Recruit ranks and rates candidates have helped employers see beyond the challenges autistic candidates face to actually seeing their skills and talents. Try Zoho Recruit
0: to build an inclusive, diverse, and dynamic organization at zoho.com recruit. Thanks, Timothy. And now on to the interview. Jason Ruger, welcome to Technovation. It's great to see you. Hi, Peter. Good to see you. Yeah, thank you so much for taking time with me today. Well, Jason, I thought we would begin uh, with your role, which is a very unusual one. You are both the Chief Information Security Officer of Lenovo, a $51-plus billion, uh, technology organization. You're also the the facto CIO, the head of IT for uh, the Mobile Business Group, the, the for Motorola, uh, still Motorola Mobile Business Group, but... but part of a Lenovo corporation. So dual sets of responsibilities. Um, Talk a little bit about that division of responsibilities and the two different groups, uh, ultimately under the same umbrella uh, that you serve.
1: Sure. Um, So I think at a high level, I think of it as both roles are focused on the customer. Uh, So from the CISO standpoint, it's about protecting our customers' data that they share with us. Uh, And then from the CIO's perspective, It's about delivering products uh, on time that work for our customers and being able to service them and provide um, them the manufacturing capability and our engineering capability. Um, So at a high level, they're both focused on the customer. Um, And In both those roles, with that focus on the customer, my job in both roles is to understand where is that critical customer data and how do we create those meaningful customer experiences. And so, from the CISO side, I have an independent team that is in charge of securing those experiences. And so, uh, the more data we have or that our customers choose to share with us if they opt in from a privacy standpoint, um, the more of a liability it creates for the company. And from the CIO standpoint, uh, the more data we have and uh, that our customers share with us, or the more data we collect from a manufacturing line to know exactly what machine soldered the specific part onto a device, from a quality standpoint, um, the better decisions I can help the company make as CIO. And it's an interesting um, mix because uh, the the exact same piece of information can be both a liability and an asset, and particularly with AI. The desire is to collect as much information from as many different sources as possible um, and build those insights. Uh, but from a CISO standpoint, it's trying to um, separate those data sources and not allow uh, uh, views across all data sources because that's a way to create lateral movement and risk. So it's an, an interesting dual role.
0: And and uh, you put your finger on, I, really, the this… Uh Dichotomy that I find so interesting, Jason. You and I have talked in the past about the how rare it is for CISOs to take on CIO or head of IT roles, and uh, at least my own hypothesis, which I'd love to to, to to chat with you about, which is, you know, as you ta- as you say, uh, th- these are roles that are oftentimes are pointed in different directions, um, have different mandates, complement each other, uh, push each other's thinking in different directions, and so on. A lot of that now has to happen in your own head. Uh, you know, dealt with with people in, in the two sides of your roles that are perhaps playing that that same role uh, back to you but you ultimately with the uh, definitive set of responsibilities both with the 50 plus billion dollar you know parent organization the seven billion dollar division of your organization to which you're, you you head IT um, talk a little bit further about the, the the way in which you do that how you reconcile some of those differences
1: sure um. So I think well, as background, uh, I'm an econ major in college, um, and so that helped me understand uh, not only revenue uh, but margins by products and I think, as i t leaders so often um, we look at simple metrics like revenue or quantity of customers, and I think to the business, what really matters is is the margins and so um, you use that both to understand what parts of the business are most important to protect from a cybersecurity standpoint, um, and also what parts of the business are most important to invest in as a CIO. And the uh, so um, as, a, as a CIO, um, it helps me understand uh, the, the pressure that CISOs put on CIOs. So CIOs typically are under a lot of cost pressure um, we have uh, a hybrid mix usually of on-prem and cloud, um, and those systems are not always patched as frequently as we'd like. We can't get the downtime, we don't have the resources, uh, et cetera. And so from the CISO standpoint, it helps me understand from the CIO's perspective uh, that we need to prioritize um, uh, which systems we need to patch. Uh, We need to prioritize what monitoring and layers we put on um, so that we don't treat all data as the same. And to do that, you have to have a natural tension in your team. Uh, And uh, one of my leadership philosophies that I share with the team is that disagreement is not disrespect. And I often have disagreement between the team. I I have teams in charge of manufacturing sites who are measured on uptime and they want to use a Windows operating system from 30 years ago because it still works. And you have the CISOs who say, uh, uh, absolutely not. We need the latest operating system uh, that has the least vulnerabilities, the smallest attack surfaces, and they're dis- different incentives. But I think when when I get the teams to listen to each other's perspectives, we can do two things. Number one, we can prioritize. And then second, we can move as a team to take action to better protect our customers.
0: Yeah, well, well said, Jason. That's really interesting. Um, you know, I also wanted to ask you about Motorola has been such a—you've been with Motorola for 14 years uh, in some way, shape, or form versus an independent entity, an organization that split, uh, a portion of which was then purchased by Google, uh, now Lenovo, as we talked about, uh, you know, ch- change is, is difficult, e- even if it's in small practices that you know, or or, or processes that one uses on a day to day basis. These are real cultural changes uh, that were afoot multiple times uh, in your career. Talk a little bit about navigating that and how how you what you've learned as a result of you know, in essence, working with the same company but with three different uh, variations of it.
1: Yeah, it, it has been.
0: It has been interesting.
1: Um, and I and I joke that uh, we're, we're the uh, uh, we're the unwanted child. We keep getting uh, uh, with M&A activities. We're, we're an investment banker's dream, um, perhaps <laughs> a shareholder's nightmare. Uh, but although our current president, Buniac, has, has turned us around and we are um, finally finally profitable under YY and Sergio Buniac. Um, the um, I, I think you have to be open minded. Um, and adaptable, and and maybe that's one reason um, uh, why I can wear two hats. Uh, I mean, there's certainly many people on the planet who wear three or four. I happen to wear two. Um, the uh, uh, when when we were at Motorola, we had a very heavy engineering culture focused on physical products. and the uh, when Google bought us. Well, first of all, then Motorola, we split into two different groups. Um, and then after that split, a few years later, um, we were bought by Google. And that was an interesting culture shift. Uh, I personally learned, uh, a ton from Google. Um, but I also think we, we taught Google, um, uh, quite a few things about physical products. And evidence of that is, uh, Google's head of, uh, hardware, uh, actually is the former Motorola president. So, um, I think if you're willing to, um, uh, uh, to learn and listen from those who have a very different perspective, um, you can adapt. And so when Google bought us, I was the only CIO member, staff member that was retained um, by Google on on the staff level. And then the same is true with Lenovo. So um, when Lenovo bought us, they had a very different culture than Google. Um, still a high-tech company, um, still highly successful, but a different culture. And I don't think one is right or wrong. Um, and I think if you go in with the humil- humility that you can take the best from any culture that you interact with, that they're good things, they're bad things, um, and how do you understand the perspective of the other individuals you're working with, what their policies, uh, what their norms are, so that you can be successful and make those changes you want to build better customer products to better protect your customer data.
0: All three global organizations, of course, but Lenovo, uh, unique among the three anyway, in terms of its center of gravity among among multiple centers of gravity in Beijing and in China. And, and I'm curious about that cultural aspect uh, now bringing you closer to you mentioned YY, the CEO who sits in, mm-hmm. in Beijing and. Um, an organization that obviously has has an american roots uh and still major american operations across uh, you know multiple cities uh in north carolina in chicago where you are um and, and the like uh, talk, talk a little bit about the the learnings from that if you would
1: sure um i think that uh, well and, and lenovo also has uh you not only have yy who has been a very successful global leader um I think uh, uh, one thing I did not understand when Lenovo bought us was that Lenovo was uh, one of the first, if not by some definitions, the first major independent company based in China that went global and was highly successful. So uh, When I go to China, there are many people who respect Lenovo as being the first to break these barriers and be truly global. And YY certainly has embraced that. The head of our, we have three major divisions. The head of one is based in Italy. The head of a second is based in North America. And the head of the third, uh, the mobile group that I work in is based in Brazil. And so I think often you see companies, um, that expand out of, if you're in Europe, you expand globally, but you have a European executive team. You're North American, you expand globally, you have a North American executive team. And YY really has embraced that culture of diversity. Um, and so I, um, uh, I, I've learned to understand the different cultural nuances, um, that initially eroded trust. Um, but now I understand why people engage in certain behavior and I try to adapt a little more based on, um, who I'm communicating with. Um, and I'd say the hardest part for me. And I, and I think it's true for, for, for all of us in a large global organization has been the language barrier. Um, that if you're, if you're in Brazil and you're speaking Portuguese, but English is your second language and you're communicating with someone in China who, who speaks Mandarin, um, but English is their second language, that barrier in communication, um, can often create distrust. And so what I found is it's important to use a, a very simple vocabulary. Um, don't try to impress people with, with six syllable words, um, and, and repeat things in different ways so that you can create that understanding and build that trust.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And I wonder, um, if this is, Jason, if this has given you cause for reflection now that most of us are working at home, uh, and, and certainly doing so to a much more dramatic degree than has ever been the case in society, uh, and you know, as you mentioned, a lot of the executives, key members of your team that you interact with on a regular basis, are in you know across the world, and yet uh, collaborating in some really productive ways. Uh, now that is flowing through uh, to a to a, another level of complexity, um, and I wonder, you know, are there learnings from one to the next? Uh, the ability to to be productive, and to uh, and and I don't know if this has even gotten to think philosophically about where to hire people. Um, you know, the traditional sort of hiring them in centers, bringing them to the cities where you are, versus allowing people to live where they wish. I don't I don't know what the the stance is either in your organization mm-hmm. uh, specifically or the company more generally speaking. Any learnings from from the fact that yours is such a broadly distributed organization?
1: Sure, well, I think uh, uh, first, I'd say at a at a human level, um, if we ignore work, uh, it has brought the company much closer together, and that is because this pandemic has not hit each country in a simultaneous fashion. So you had people in Europe and South America and North America that were lending assistance to our colleagues who were going through the pandemic in Asia. and then, um, when Asia recovered, but Italy was, well, Europe was hard hit. Um, you had people helping out and literally the masks we use at the office in Chicago come from China. So our colleagues are going to the stores in China and sending them over here to help, uh, help protect us, sanitize their masks, etc. And I think that, uh, that, that camaraderie, although it's virtual on calls like this, um, the uh the sending physical products and goods that are difficult to get and you have all the complexity of customs and allocations and things like that um seeing people make those small differences of i i personally will go to the store and buy the 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 goods you need and ship them to you or i will take care of your relative who is stuck here um, or your friend and in different locations and help them navigate those systems i think that has created a bond Um, we we had an advantage at Lenovo. Um, well, first, uh, l- let me step back and say um, our systems um, worked well uh, for the pandemic, remote working. And that is not because I'm smart. It's not because I planned ahead. It is because, as, as a global company, I have a, uh, a day-night problem um, that... Chicago and 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 Brazil are literally on the opposite side of the globe, so we have to have infrastructure that allows people to work remote every day, or at least uh, four or five days a week. Um, so so that worked. What didn't work well for us, or what what I did not anticipate, was the three x increase in cyber attacks against both our data centers, um, and and our endpoints, and we. Uh, you know our typical process was if peter if your machine was infected and it was uh, an advanced threat we would go and physically get the machine from you um and 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 analyze it um and that clearly doesn't work in a pandemic um so we needed to improve some of our uh, uh abilities to um remotely uh assist users plus our partners that was something that we didn't anticipate but um partners who take calls for customers um now they're working from home as well and how, how do we secure that um, so that that was a that was a that was a change we saw uh,
0: on on the negative yeah it's interesting I, I'd love to there's a couple different threads I'd like to pull there um, you mentioned the, the the tripling in attacks uh, and I how have you again you couldn't have i you've you've been a uh, security executive for long enough uh, to know that you need to play a shrewd offense and defense. You need to recognize that bad actors are themselves, unfortunately very smart and creative and innovative that, uh, you know, they need to be right once, whereas you need to be right, you know, kind of all the Mm -hmm. time in a variety of different vectors. Um, But, but obviously the, none of us could have anticipated the the, uh, how quick this change would happen and the direction it would take. And I'm curious, you know, how, um, how have you directed your team? How have you led during these times, recognizing, you know, the, the increased threats, uh, as well as a lot of the uncertainty, uh, surrounding this?
1: Well, it's uh, it's a good thing. I'm not Dr. Fauci because, um, uh, I'll tell you how wrong I got it. Um, so Peter, our, uh, we make our advanced smartphones, like the razor that folds in one spot in a planet, because there's only one, um, one manufacturing facility advanced enough to make foldable screens. That city happens to be Wuhan. So, you know, of all places, this is obviously where uh, COVID nineteen started. Um, and this is how long I got it. I still remember I was in Singapore. It was in the evening. I was on a two-hour crisis call about this this pandemic, and we were re- we were thinking one week out. So this will disrupt us for one week. This will disrupt our business and our shipments by one week. And then a, a week, a week went by, and I thought, okay, let's let's expand, let's really think outside of the box, and go to two weeks. This pandemic, or not what was a pandemic then? I mean, I, I had the time frame completely wrong. I had this scale. Um, I, I didn't understand the scale, um, and so uh, I, I was I was reminded of um, the difference between well, um, I, I like biomimicry. So, um, yeah, where we, we learn from nature. And so, um, I, I think the asymptomatic nature of, of this physical virus is very analogous to the difference between Suxnet and uh, notpetcha or WannaCry. And, and the difference being, if, if you recall with Suxnet, that's where um, basically uh, a group that shall remain nameless. Infected every computer they could on the planet, but it was innocuous. It 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 only its target was Iranian centrifuges, but it was patient, and uh, it was quote asymptomatic. Um, whereas with some of the ransomware that hit uh, companies like Merck and FedEx with the uh, WannaCry and NotPetya, um, that was not asymptomatic. So the minute your machine got infected. It started to try to infect laterally, move to other other machines, but it immediately ransomware and locked your screen. And um, uh, I, I, I fear that a lot of hackers will use biomimicry and understand the value of this asymptomatic infection, um, and and that that will uh, uh, create more of a challenge for us um, because this this lateral being able to laterally move and not set off flags in an organization. Um, can be very damaging. And I, now, now I realize I probably didn't even answer your question at all, Peter, so sorry.
0: No, no, no. That's, I mean, I, in fact, I, you, you hit two parts, because uh, uh, I wanted to also ask you about the fact that you have operations in China, more specifically in Wuhan, the fact that you had this kind of, as as you know, so many did, uh, a misconception as to what this was um, uh, going from epidemic to pandemic, and uh, but also, you know, this is an interesting aspect of having a, a China based business is, of course, impacted uh, things in China than the rest of the world. Uh, but for your business, obviously, it was acute from the get go. And I'm I'm curious, you know, as you thought about the the learnings and the waves that 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 uh, unfortunately that would impact, uh, you know, the U.S., Europe, Latin America, all of these geographies that you've mentioned are are strategic not only operationally but also in terms of customers. Needless to say. Um, you know, how you have thought about that response as a result of, you know, having operations literally at, uh, at, at what you believe to be, anyway, ground zero for the, for the pandemic itself?
1: Yeah, and I think this is um, well where I both have to put the CIO and the CISO hat on. So um, as a CIO, I imagine a lot of us are um, uh, trying to diversify our supply chain and uh, come up with uh, different areas in the world to to manufacture products or assemble them, uh, source components. And that, from a CIO perspective, can be quite complicated, um, especially in the short term. Um, Even something as simple as getting getting a high-speed network line to a manufacturing facility in a new country can can take months. Um, So we we certainly uh, struggled, uh, as a CIO, I've struggled to, uh, react as as quickly as as my colleagues in the business would like. Um, at the same time, from a from a CISO standpoint, um, in addition to the you know the spike we talked about in the attacks, um, creating redundancy um, and uh, uh, increases risk because now you have X. You know, suppose you double the number of partners you have. Well, now you've you've doubled the attack surface. And are they are they secure? Um, but I think the The larger threat for us from a cyber standpoint has not been the 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 potential change to the supply chain base. It is the fact that we're not the uh, Lenovo and Moto are not the only two companies that are having their employees work from home. All of all of our suppliers who used to go into an office and answer calls from customers they're working remotely too, and ensuring that we're protecting customer data. Getting back to our number one priority. So, you know, obviously we don't want to leak intellectual capital. We don't want to leak our employee data, but the number one priority by far is uh, protecting our customers. Um, and that's uh, uh, that's that's been a challenge with this diversity in, in, in the supply chain base. Um, and, and to be frank, it, it certainly has impacted our top-line revenue and our profitability because we can't deliver the products um, that our customers wanted on time.
0: Jason, I want to, you know, hearing you talk of, around a variety of different topics, this very unusual scenario, dual set of responsibilities as CIO and CISO, the, the cultural transformations you've been a part of uh, with, you know, three different entities, so to say, um, the, the the background you have is somebody who has an economics degree, an MBA, but also had, uh, you've, you've told me in the past, a lot of technical uh, jobs, uh, internships mm-hmm. dating back to your, your time in high school. It strikes me that yours is a mind that's really uh, built for change and built for <laughs> flexibility uh, by virtue of the experiences that you sought, uh, maybe from you know even before those experiences, but certainly those experiences have, uh, it would strike me just in, in, in having gotten to know you and certainly the story you're telling today, uh, that you are oriented towards uh, an ability to withstand change and to embrace change and to, uh, maybe not be stuck in, in the way things always have been, because in your career, especially in the past 14 years, there isn't really any, this is the way it's always been because there has been so much change, uh, you know, in, in the way in which you do work and who you do it for. Um, is that a, a hypothesis I'm throwing out there? Do you think there's some, some, some merit to that? Well, I think it depends who you ask.
1: Uh, if you ask my children, they'd say no, that I'm stuck <laughs> in my book, I'm not acceptable to change. Um, uh, but I think it's interesting. I think also if you ask my children, uh, if, if you ask them, what are, what are two of my favorite books? Um, one is Fermat's Enigma, and the other is Longitude. So, um, <clears throat> and, and both are about, uh, Fermat's Enigma is about a mathematical problem that no one thought you could solve, and then someone figured out a solution to it. Um, and longitude is the same thing. Uh, how, how ships before GPS, um, people were dying, uh, uh, and and can use technology to help save lives and 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 have better nav- navigation. So, yeah, I, I I do think I I enjoy change. I enjoy new ideas. Um, I I don't believe every I, I don't believe you have to be right all the time. Um, I believe we experiment, and in the scientific method, you, you have a hypothesis, and, and, and you, you test it. And uh, that, that, that failure um, is is, uh, uh, is is a reasonable outcome. Um, I think another thing, but besides the um, – so on the one hand, yes, I, I'm, I'm more – perhaps I'm more open to change. Um, and different ideas. I think I was lucky um, early on in life as in, in when I was, uh, before I was a teenager, I had a lot of diversity in my family, diversity of ideas. And I think this gets back to my disagreements, not disrespect. One of my favorite Thanksgivings was when my uncle, who was a nuclear power plant engineer and in charge of building a new nuclear power plant, um, was at, th- he, at Thanksgiving every year. And at the same table was my aunt, who was protesting against the plant and changed herself to a tree so they couldn't bulldoze? And so, I mean, I, I'm used to to people who have wildly different views, and I don't view one as right or wrong. I try right. to understand what their motivations are. Um, so the, but I think in addition to change, it's a passion for. I have a I have a strong passion for using technology to change people's lives, and. One of my favorite stats is that 80% of 911 calls are made with mobile phones. So that means 500,000 times a day, people are using mobile phones for life and death issues. And I'm proud that I work at a company where I can play a role in making sure that 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 uh, is reliable and dependable and uh, has hopefully a benefit of saving a life or two.
0: That's really great. I appreciate that that perspective and appreciate that further reflection, Jason, and to, to your own make- makeup. Um, I, I wanted to also ask you about, from a security perspective, as there is so much change in security, there's so much dynamism, how do you organize uh, yourself and the team? Is there a framework that you use? Is there a way in which you think about kind of new aspects that need to be added to that framework as as scenarios change, um, how do you think about that dynamism and, and, and um, it in some way?
1: Yeah, so so yeah, and I and I, and I like that question, Peter. I um uh, I, I tend to prefer the simpler frameworks. Um, uh, I think early in my career, um, I preferred to be more precise and have frameworks that would actually accurately capture uh, the latest trend or threat, but it was too complicated to communicate to senior executives. I am uh, I. I'm a big fan of the NIST framework, um, which is the believe it or not the Institute of Time. Um, one, I'm a fan because it's a non-regulatory body, which means when they build a framework, um, it has to be good enough that industry wants to adopt it. They don't just get to decree like the FTC or FCC that thou, thou will use this framework. Um, so. Uh, and and I, I even dumb it down a little bit more. So th- their framework is identify, protect, detect, respond, recover. and I, I simplified it into four things. I say it's identify, protect, detect, and then I lump, respond and recover into one. But I think that um, that helps our senior executives understand, okay, here's what we need to do for identification and and for example, a trend as we move the cloud um, is how we better authenticate. Um, and how we use asymmetric methods of authentication, um, uh, or even have uh, uh, with, uh, uh, I was get around wrong, the uh, secret double octopus or double secret octopus, um, how you slice it across different parts of the OS. So even if a, if a hacker owns part of the OS, uh, they, they can't see the credentials. Um, protection is kind of where we were at 15 years ago in cyber. But Peter, if I have a great firewall, everything's safe. Um, uh, you know, don't worry. Um, uh and then you know lately a uh, a large focus has been on detection where you you have to have the humility that, that you can't keep the hackers out that um there'll be zero days uh they're incredibly intelligent and creative and so how do you detect uh, uh once things happen and then lastly the um uh how how you respond um the i i wish i could say i i wish i could tell you i was an amazing ciso and we didn't have incidents but we have uh, we have lots of incidents, especially at our scale with a 50, uh, bill and 50 billion in revenue in, in over 150 countries. So that allows us to practice response. And we have not always been good at it. In fact, we were notoriously bad. Um, uh, we even had a hacktivist group um, uh, hack Lenovo because they were fr- so frustrated with one of our cybersecurity responses. So um, the uh, I think practicing response is pretty important these days because most cyber attacks are follow the same pattern, which is there was an unpatched asset, so we there was known vulnerability for which we didn't patch the asset in time, and a hacker was able to exploit it. And that's where I think this dual role helps um, in that um, as a CIO, I can understand the urgency of something as mundane as patching, and um, uh, uh, help help drive that change in the organization. I'm certainly not perfect at it, um, but that's where I think some of those dual roles help. D- does that answer your, your 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 question? I mean, I, I could talk more about how we how we look at risk, but um, uh, not sure if you
0: want to dive more in there. Oh, no, please! Not- I actually, I would love to. Maybe maybe take a take a minute on risk. That'd be great.
1: So um, I know our our board, um, uh, as as most board members uh, do, they sit on multiple boards, and so. Um, they're, they're used to CISOs like myself coming in and saying risk is increased across the board. You know, so classic, uh, just like you were talking about the pandemic earlier. So we've seen a 3x increase in the tax. We're collecting more customer data. So, you know, the, the world is ending. Um, so they prefer a prioritization and it's, and it's, um, it's kind of an, it's, a, it's a loose, um, adaptation of what the Google privacy team taught me years ago, um, on, on the way, well, and it's not just Google, uh, many auditors measure risk this way, which is risk is the combination of likelihood and impact. And so that's how we assess our risk each year. Um, likelihood being um, uh, a combination of what kind of defenses and layers of defenses do we have on an asset versus um, how likely is it that uh, hackers will attack that. They have no interest in what what's on the lunch menu at the cafeteria, um, or at least they have almost no interest. So the likelihood of an attack there would be low. Um, Uh, Whereas credit card data would be very high. Um, and then, and then the impact, um, is something that, that, uh, as a CISO and a CIO, I can't change. Um, so the impact would be if we lost your customer data, if you're one of our customers, Peter, and, you know, multiply it by 100 million customers, if we lost that, what, what, what is, what is that impact? If we lost the intellectual property, I can't change the value of that intellectual property. I can't take, change the value of that, that credit card number. Um, uh, but we can at least measure it and we can try to reduce the likelihood. And so we call that the residual risk. And it changes each year. Sometimes we're successful and we've lowered the residual risk. Um, other times uh, we, uh, we see, for example, in, the, in with the pandemic, remote work, our risk went way up. Um, and so we're trying to take measures to, to reduce that. Um, we've been successful uh, at reducing risk around digital currency. So Lenovo, we're not, in, we're not into Bitcoin. Um, but we have, um, we have, uh, a digital currency in terms of licenses for our products. So when you buy a laptop, you can get software there. Um, if we lose those, uh, and, and, or, well, if a hacker steals those, um, or an insider threat steals those, um, that's, that's a real, uh, green dollar loss. Um, same with our mobile phones. Um, so we, we've been, uh, trying to reduce the thefts there.
0: I appreciate that you're you sharing those anecdotes as well. Uh, I wanted to ask a final question around trends. We've talked about a number of them, but I, I'm curious if there are, there are others you'd care to articulate that uh, as you look to the future that particularly excite you, Jason.
1: Um, I think um, it's, it's, it's overused, um, uh, the, the term AI, but I think it's interesting to see AI used both on the CISO side and the CIO side. Um, so um, we're using AI on the CIO side to create better suggestions for our customers on how they can use our products because phones don't, smartphones don't come with manuals anymore. Um, so you, you pull it out of the box and there are hundreds of features you don't know about. Um, and so uh, I'm excited there how we can personalize those suggestions um, for those that opt in from a privacy setting. Um, to make it more personal for you, Peter. So if you're running out of battery life each day, we can provide suggestions on how to make your phone last longer, and it's a way to basically take that the 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 asset you purchased and make it more valuable to you. So I'm excited there. Um, the AI on the cyber side is 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 exciting for me because um, when you look, uh, we use um, I don't know if I can say the vendor name, but we use a, a big data analytic tool um, to look for. IP address correlations and anomalous activities, and that used to be manual and take teams days to figure out correlations. Um, And Now now we can do more of that um, uh, with AI, so I'm excited about that. Uh, Another trend in security, and it's not… Companies have offered this for a few years, but I really like it, and it's basically hiring hackers. So it's getting ethical hackers in, with specialties in certain vulnerabilities and hiring them to um, uh, investigate your new products and network because uh, we can use these standard AI tools. We can use vulnerability scanners, um, but the hackers can use those as well. And so they'll use the same tools to see, can we detect what they're doing? Um, and... And instead, by hiring the hackers, I think it's a great way to supplement and add another layer of protection um, to, to, your, to, your, uh, to your company.
0: Well, Jason Ruger, thank you so much for joining me today and, and sharing your perspectives across your fascinating dual set of responsibilities at two very meaningful companies, part of the Lenovo, uh, the, the broader Lenovo umbrella. Uh, and sharing your perspectives and the practices that you've, you've implemented uh, during normal times as well as abnormal times, as the case may be. Uh, it's been a great conversation. I enjoyed speaking with you as always, Peter. Thanks for tuning in. Please join me on Monday when my guest will be Satish Muthukrishnan, the Chief Information, Data, and Digital Officer of Ally Financial.